Hello, coaches. Welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. The Championship Vision Podcast is designed to encourage leaders to have a championship vision of their personal lives and career. This podcast is getting leaders to share their secrets of success. So get out your notebooks and write down notes to make you a championship vision leader. Elite leaders have a vision and find ways to get buy-in and believe in. Let's share a vision. This is Alan Stein Jr. My new book, Raise Your Game, High Performance Secrets from the Best of the Best, will be available from all major book retailers on January 8th. Raise Your Game takes a rare peek behind the curtain and shows you what the top coaches and players in the game do during the unseen hours. I share their routines, rituals, and habits, as well as proven strategies that you can implement with your team immediately. If you want to maximize your coaching impact and influence, order your copy today at RaiseYourGameBook.com. Hello, coaches. This is Coach Kevin Furtado. I'm the head girls basketball coach at Lake Oconee Academy in Greensboro, Georgia. I am director of Championship Vision. Today, we're going to do episode number 34 of the Championship Vision podcast. Today, I'm so excited to have one of the best coaches in the country, um, for episode number 34. His name is Doc Shebler. He's currently the head girls basketball coach at Pinewood High School located in Northern California and has worked closely with Sparta for a number of years. His teams have won over 506 Division V state titles in his coaching career. In 2014, he was voted the Cal High Sports State Coach of the Year. Doc has been coaching basketball for 40 years, and in addition to his successes at the high school level, he is also the private shooting coach for NBA star Jeremy Lin. Doc Shebler attended San Francisco State University and received his BA and MA degrees in physical education and a single-subject teaching credential of physical education. As a youngster growing up, he developed an intense passion for sports. In high school, because of his positive influence of great coaches, he decided to teach and coach. After earning his degrees and credential in 1978, he began a coaching career coaching sports at Burlingame High School and working at several athletic clubs designing fitness programs. He came to Pinewood School in 1995 on the recommendation of one of his former players at Burlingame High School. And it has been a school, a wonderful 20 years, teaching physical education and coaching girls basketball. Doc and his wife have two children and three wonderful grandchildren. Married to Patricia, 41 years, two children, Casey, 38, Kyle, 34, three grandchildren, Tegan, Tegan, five, Conway, four, Declan, three. 1977 to 1994, he was the boys' JV and varsity basketball coach at Burlingame and Cappuccino High School, two league championships. In 1995, girls' varsity basketball Pinewood School, 22 league championships, 13 section championships, nine NorCal championships, six state championships. He was the California State Coach of the Year in 2014 and the shooting coach from 1986 to the present. And one thing I want to make clear, his enrollment at Pinewood School is a mass of 200 students. He has built the most unbelievable girls basketball program, I think, in in the country. He is currently ranked on uh, my last rankings that I looked. He's the uh, his team at Pinewood. His girls are sixth in the state and seventh 
in the country. I mean, a national ranking of seventh from a small school. I mean, it is most unbelievable. Coaches today, you're going to get a lot of great information from this legendary coach. This guy is unbelievably uh, smart. He's um, he just he'll he'll share with you what it takes to build not only a great basketball program but great shooters. His teams have led the country many times in shooting threes. They run such a great motion offense that he has uh, professional organizations, the Warriors, everybody coming to watch him practice at his small school. Coaches, you are in for a treat. You're going to be listening to Doc Shebler, head girls basketball coach at Pinewood High School. Let's welcome Coach Doc Shebler. Kevin, can you hear me? Hey, Coach. Hey, how are you? Good, good, Doc. Thanks for yeah. You got everything set up. Yeah, well, it was it was uh, a monumental effort. Let me tell you. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's sometimes it goes through okay, sometimes it doesn't. But hey, you're you're on, my friend. Okay, nice to be here. That's yeah, that's great. I sure appreciate you joining. I know you got to practice a little bit later. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, got to prep for a game tomorrow night, like we all do. It's that time of year. So it is. It is. Love this time of year. It's the most wonderful time of year. <laughs> exactly. I feel like I know your team. I've been watching so much video of your team, man. I, and to be honest with you, I've been showing uh, – I'm actually going to show some segments of your team before my game tomorrow. No kidding. Well, I love your team, man. I mean, I, I've been – I mean, the stuff that you do, and I, I know you're going to share with me, but just for our girls. Now, our girls, you know, we're just starting a program. And they need to see what the best do. But I tell you, just really quick before you talk about yourself a little bit, mm-hmm. I was just watching the Sacramento game right. that you played, a team that's full of athletes, man, big and strong. Yeah. And I'm going, this team should beat you. But, man, you guys, your ball movement, your, your player movement, your sound. I love your defensive positioning. I, I mean, I got to show this to my team. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, we uh... – when you play at the level that we play at, you have to do everything the right way to put yourself in position to be successful. And the girls buy into that. And uh, we have five seniors that have been in our program for four years. So they should be doing right. If we're doing, (laughs) if we're doing our job as coaches in terms of preparing them. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Hey coach, tell me about your background. And I know hey, I love talking to a California boy now. I'm telling you, I'm <laughs> these Georgia guys out here. Yeah. But um I miss California. But tell me about your sports background or your family background and how you kind of eventually got involved in the coaching. Yeah. Uh I went to Burlingame High School and played baseball and basketball there. I pitched in baseball and I played basketball. The three coaches that uh, I kind of developed an eclectic way to coach that got me hooked to being a coach was uh, uh, one was Bob Milano who went on after coaching high school baseball to coach at uh, Cal Berkeley coach baseball the men's baseball team there Cal Berkeley went to the college world series in Omaha very detailed practice coach from the standpoint everybody was doing something that was functional towards your position and making the team great and then I played for uh, John DeVos, baseball and basketball coach who made things fun 
and you wanted to come to practice, you worked hard, you're very disciplined, but you never knew what you were going to get in practice because he was kind of a character. And then my yeah. basketball coach <laughs> was a gentleman named Frank Bettendorf, who was the most detailed, prepared coach you could ever have from the standpoint of tactical preparation for a team. He could figure out the type of defense you needed to stop the particular players on that team to put yourself in position to win. He wasn't a very technically sound coach from a standpoint of teaching skills of the game, like most coaches back then. Um, uh, and as a result of playing for those guys, I just, I just knew I wanted to coach. And I went on and played uh, junior college basketball, Kenyatta college. Um, mm -hmm. I also played on the golf team there. Uh, I, retired from basketball infamy i went up to uc davis and decided i didn't want to play basketball anymore which was the worst mistake of my life but um <laughs> you know kids going away to school you know there's a lot of stresses in their life and uh i decided that i was going to be a tennis player and uh, so i devoted two or three years to just being the best tennis player i could be and got to a certain level of proficiency with it taught tennis uh as well um, and, uh, played on the tennis team at San Francisco state. That's where I finished my, my degree, my credential and my master's. Eventually I got married when I was 23 years old, got my first teaching job at coaching frost off boys at Burlingame high school. Um, I coached frost off boys for nine years. My favorite team was my second year. We went three and 19, um, right. And they were my favorite team because they gave me everything they had. And the following year after not liking losing on their part, I mean, they were small and they made up for it by being really slow as well. And very, very right. uh, physically immature. In other words, when they came in as freshmen they were, they were small and a little bit weak, but they grew a little bit and their skills became much better. And we won the league championship their sophomore year and uh, I went on to coach at Cappuccino for a year and then I coached varsity at Cappuccino for three years came back to Burlingame coached varsity boys up until 1994 took a year off uh, I also coached my son and daughter's you know grade school and junior high teams and it was then where I just decided that I really enjoyed the developmental process of a player, the foundational process of a player in terms of where to start and make it progressive to a point where they can build and build and build. And by the time they get to a certain age, they should have a level of proficiency of skills. And after taking that year off, uh, I actually coached a, a junior girls team as a favor to one of my former players who's a current coach or a current coach then named Peter Diepenbrock, who is a very successful coach here in the West coach. He was Jeremy mm -hmm. Lynn's high school coach at Palo Alto high school. Won a state okay. Yeah. Him. And uh, he said, I have a great group of girls. You'd love coaching them. It's two months job, pay a thousand dollars to do it, whatever. And I really liked the school. And one of the players on that team was a terrific player that was, you know, destined to go to another another high school and I convinced her to stay and my daughter came over as a transfer from another high school and we started our program 1995-96 and I've been here been here ever since yeah you and let's let's talk about that 
I mean, your resume is so impressive. I mean, um, but what's amazing though is you have your school has an enrollment of two hundred students, correct? And you have one, and I, I mean, you can go on and on about six state championships, NorCal championships, all that. Well, what is your what is your secret to success in building this program really from scratch? Well, let me uh, let me uh, add on to what you said about the state championships in California. They have they had five divisions, uh, one through five, five is right. the least amount of kids in your school. So we won six division five championships. There was a time mm-hmm. where they allowed you in the state of California to move up if you so choose. So there was three years between 2000 uh, and 2000, 2001 to 2003, where we moved up to division two and uh, lost in the NorCal championship game there. And then they changed the rules a little bit um, after a couple of years uh, where they now, uh, they didn't allow you to move up. You had to stay in your division. Uh, <laughs> right. It was like after 2004, some coaches, both boys or girls were just picking out what division that they felt that they could be competitive in up. Right, so sure. If, if there was a stud team in division four that I I knew my team couldn't beat some coaches are going like, well, there's not a lot of good teams in division two. So we're going to be division two. So they, they wanted to do away with that sort of, you know, mentality and just say, no, you're, you can't move up at all. And you have to stay in your division. But then five years ago, after parochial schools were dominating each division, they decided that they were going to move eight teams in the North and the South that were the best teams and create an open division. So we were moved up to the open division uh, three times and we lost in the opening round once. We got to the NorCal final uh, the next year. The following year, we got to the NorCal semifinal in the open. And last year, we won the NorCal final in the open division and played for the state championship. So in, in reality, if we... This is making me sound like an arrogant jerk. If we had <laughs> stayed in Division Five, those three years that we moved up to two, there was no competition for us in five. That's why we wanted to move up. We wanted to test to see how good we could be. Sure. And then, been moved up to the Open Division in in the previous years. You probably looking at, you know, maybe twelve state championships that our teams have won. And I don't look back on that with any regret or anything like that. Um, we, we are a top team in California. We are ranked in the country. And getting back to your comment about how do you develop it is that you just create an environment where you have a two hour practice where you're consistently trying to develop basketball players uh, and the skills of the game. Um, and you want motivated kids that want to be great and a lot of times and I'm trying to stay a word stay away from the word culture because everybody uses culture that's why I like sure. environment better I don't like the buzz buzzwords <clears throat> cliche words like culture um, but it's just our standard our standard is we're going to work hard every day to continue to get better we're going to give you a practice where you're going to look forward to coming to practice every single day because you don't know what to expect Um, we're going to get a lot of shots. We're going to make a lot of moves. We're going to make a lot of decisions. And through that process, there should be 
a level of improvement that you attain each and every week. So even in, even when we're deep in our season now in mid-January, we still, you know, get a lot of shots up, uh, work a lot of finishes, work a lot of moves. Um, and uh, that type of thing attracts players that want to come to your school. So uh, parents and their, their daughters, when they watch our team play, they get a feeling of, I would like my daughter to play in that type of environment where we have four great assistant coaches that are former D1 players. We all love the game. That's kind of our bond as, as, as people is that we both live and breathe the game and we want players that have that same passion for the game as we do. Do many of your kids play different sports? Um, Tell, tell me a little bit about Pinewood. I've been trying to kind of study it. I know it's a small school. Do y'all have it's a small, three sports? Yeah, it's a small yeah. private school that uh, was started as a K through two school back in 1960, I believe, back when you were still in the Bay Area, Kevin. And uh, it was developed <laughs> Not by, created yet. It was developed <laughs> by, by a lady named uh, Gwendolyn Riches. And she felt that the okay. public schools weren't doing a great job in teaching art, teaching music, teaching language, um, and those types of things. So she started a K through two with emphasis on those particular aspects where the kids learn to sing, they learn to act, they learn to draw, they learn to do things like that. And the parents were so excited after a couple of years that they continually asked her, well, can you make it K through you know, six, and then they started junior high. And then after that, they started a high school. And I want to say 1985 and they are campuses located in combination Los Altos Hills and, and the Palo Alto Hills right on the border. And, uh, it is a, uh, it was an elementary school, Palo Alto Hills school that was closed down due to Prop 13 back in 1977, I believe it was closed down in the early 80s and they leased the property, spruced it up. They have a, you know, we have a nice all weather field for tennis courts, gym uh, throughout the years that have been built to develop that. So um, it is a great school. Uh, it's, it's a private school. The kids get a great education. The class sizes are small. Um, you can't, this is a double negative. You can't not do well here. If you want to do well, you'll do well. Both my, <laughs> right. Both my children went to Pinewood, and I, I give a glowing recommendation for the type of education they get. And uh, um, it's just a small, great community that we have at the school. And it sounds like, Doctor, that you you guys want it small for you get they get more access to this the build those relationships. Right. So I've been, I coached in small schools and I absolutely love it. Of course I've been in big schools. Give me the small school any day coach. Yeah, correct. You know, it's like, you see, you see your kids every day. Um, I was a rent a coach in the public school. I couldn't get a teaching job. I wanted to teach PE, but I had to support my family working at uh, athletic clubs. I worked for FedEx for, tw for 10 years, driving, driving a van to deliver, <laughs> deliver letters. And it made me a better person. That's for sure. And I would, would get up at, at five, uh, get off at two, go to coach my team. 
and my last couple of years, I was coaching my team, coaching my kids' team. So I was really, really busy. But what really motivated me was I just loved coaching the little guys and the little girls. Is from a love it, yeah, yeah. Those things is that you are, you know, the main catalyst for you know starting that passion for the game. And if they're t- taught in the right way, uh, in the situation you're in, where at the school you're in, there is a great way to develop those players. Uh, not only basketball players, but athletes as a, as a PE teacher as well. So um, we don't, I mean, everybody uses, well, I guess you recruit, don't you? You only have 50 kids in a class. We don't recruit. We, we, we attract kids to our program. We get kids applying right. because they see, you know, our, they love our style of play. They love how hard our girls play. They love, you know, the synergy that they play with um, and, just who they are as, as athletes from the standpoint of they, they embody the spirit of playing sports. You know, there's, there's no bad attitudes. Um, they love to play. They show that they love to play. So that's kind of that. I, I think you guys are a hidden seek. I don't, well, I, in California, you're not hidden. Everybody knows and respects you, but I want to share what you guys are doing to all the coaches out here in Georgia. And I think coaches should take notice out here because your style of basketball is unbelievable. Hey, you, your standard of excellence is about doing the, doing the things the right way. Tell our listeners more about this type of, well, I would say culture, but now environment. Well, um, I think it revolves around making it fun as one. Working hard can be fun because getting better is fun. I stole that from Coach K. Um, he told me that years upon years ago, working hard is fun because getting better is fun. Isn't it fun to get better? And when, when athletes see themselves get better, they, they find fun in the improvement. They, they find fun in working together. I mean, everybody, you know, when, when you're on a team, you know, teamwork is, you know, I'm quoting Pat Riley, teamwork is the essence of life. You know, you want to be involved right. with something bigger and greater than yourself. And a lot of times, it might not be in a young man or young woman's personality to play on a team. And well, that great. Then you can devote yourself to other sports and things like that. I had the perfect blend as an athlete because I played golf and tennis and I, you know, and I, it was all me, you know, it was all me. It was all about me, you know, and sometimes in golf, when you're on a golf team or a tennis team, it's an individual sport that they make a team sport, you know, from the standpoint of adding your scores or, who won your match and who did this and who did that. But I think the synergy of playing with other people and, and fulfilling a role is, is really important in everybody's life, whether or not you join a band or a choir, um, you know, anything you do as a human being involves, you know, being in a group and functioning well as a group. And it's really, really important that we as coaches make that, an emphasis and we do is playing you know the joy of playing is playing together and doing it for each other and our style of play is such to where you know it's our shot and we're going to take a good shot every single possession doesn't matter who it is now depending upon you know your level of skill you might not have five great three-point shooters on the perimeter but that's 
that's one of the things that we really try and focus on in terms of developing that particular skill as the most important skill in basketball. They call it basketball because you have to put the ball in the basket. And shooting just doesn't mean three-point shooting. It means all different ways that you have to put the ball in the basket, whether it be you know, threes or mid-range or floaters or shots at the rim in terms of finishes. So um, that, uh, that's important in what we include in our practices. And when people watch us play, they see the emphasis of. Now, all of our games are on YouTube. So the listeners listening in, if they wanted to, you just go to Pinewood Basketball and you'll see the last four years, all of our games are on there and you'll see the different, you know, the different players that we have. And you'll see one, one to two to three. You'll see the same actions. You'll see the same ability to do things. You'll see the same man-to-man defensive principles based on, uh, on responsibilities and, and things that we have to action, reaction, teach every single day of practice. So um, that's why we're good. You know, when I was in, uh, uh, you know, we all need mentors. We all need people that we learn with. Um, I, I, I learned so many things from other coaches. I learned from you. That's the main thing is you have to be a continual learner in terms of wanting to get better. Uh, I took a class in coaching basketball at San Francisco State. It was the only A-plus I ever got in my life. The only A-plus. <laughs> right. I loved the teacher. I, he, was, yeah. he was a great teacher. And he, he taught – I mean, class was interactive. Um, when he taught man-to-man defense, it was all about Shepler. What are your responsibilities guarding the person with the ball? Well, I got to cut off the drive. When they pick up their dribble, I'm in a dead dribble stance, mirroring the ball. What happens if they pass the ball, Scheffler? Well, I jump to the ball. Why is that? Well, I got to deny a give and go cut. I got to be in a position to help on my team. What do you do if they shoot the ball? Well, I got a hand up and I screen out. Right. What do you do in the denial position? Well, what is the denial position? One pass away. I'm three feet off the line. I'm three feet from my man. I'm three feet close to the ball. Right. Uh, what are your responsibilities there? Well, if they try a face cut, I got to cut off their cut off their face cut. What if they back cut? Well, I cut their back cut. What if somebody drives in your area? I got to help on the drive. When's your help accomplished? As soon as that hand comes to the ball. How do you do a close? I mean, everything was like, bam, 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 bam. And that's how I learned to coach defense by those. Now, our, our responsibilities have changed. I teach a pack line defense based on one pass away. We're, we're in a position where we're, you know, basically 16 feet away from the basket. And our whole goal of the closeout is to be there on the catch. Uh, to where when my offensive opponent catches the ball, I want to make sure I'm stationary in a stance on them to where they're not attacking my closeout. I've learned through the years, and I know we discussed it earlier uh, in the week, that a defensive player is most vulnerable in a closeout. If we're played one-on-one, I'm, it's Kevin, the Santa Teresa flash against Doc, the Burlingame flame. If if you're in triple threat, there's no advantage, really. You have the ball, so you have a little bit of an advantage. Now, if you're dribbling the ball, attacking me off a live dribble, then you got a little bit of an advantage, all right? But if I'm closing out on you, you know, I I am at your mercy because if you have a quick release, the shot is there. If I'm trying to take away your space, you're blowing by me. And I learned that, wow, that's really amazing. So all of our offensive – philosophy is predicated on attacking closeouts. We're not going to catch and hold the ball. So our whole mantra in terms of, you know, when a player catches the ball and you probably notice this 
when you watch us is that the ball's never stagnant. It's either being shot, driven, or passed. We don't we don't Absolutely. really emphasize yeah. triple threat, although I was a master of triple threat footwork as a player because I had a had a coach teach me a first step that I would get beat on all the time playing pickup by this guy named George who went to Sarah High School in San Mateo. He he would beat me on he beat me on he beat me <laughs> I, on a rock. Yeah, yeah. I said, holy <laughs> crap, that is a good move. So I practiced it in my driveway and I had a great rocker step. And then to go with my rocker step, I had a great triple threat shot when I'm selling. It's not really a jab, but I give him the feeling that I'm driving right by him and Right when my foot hits the ground, bang, I'm shooting in his eye. The great Mark Jackson line, hand down, man down. Same That's right. principle there. But I've learned in coaching females that they have a harder <laughs> time creating space and shots than guys do because of their length and quickness and jumping ability differential. Um, and it just became, you know, within the last seven or eight years, that my teaching of triple threat moves and attacking a triple threat catch and face has gone almost out the window. And it's really, you know, people say, Oh, yo, you don't teach catch and face. It's like, well, what if, if Kevin is denying me the ball and I catch the ball, Kevin has to redistribute his body to get in front of me in the basket. But I have an advantage right when I catch and the Villanova men's coach, uh, Jay Wright, teaches this as well and I, I didn't steal it from him this is this is something I read you know a year and a half ago so you'll never be more open than when you catch the ball yeah you're going to catch and shoot you're going to catch and drive I'm planning to shoot the ball I'm planning to shoot so uh, if if I'm planning to shoot it's like a great hitter in baseball that plans to hit every pitch except a three and zero count or he's got a take sign or or whatever but that's a hitter's mentality is that when that pitcher's in the windup, whether it be softball or baseball, they're planning to hit every pitch. Well, I want shooters planning to shoot every single time. And a great hitter reacts not to swing. It's out of the zone. I'm not swinging. But at least they get the juices going. Well, as an offensive player, as I catch the ball, I'm planning to shoot. And I continue on with that mentality if I have space as I catch the ball. And uh, ball in the air, feet in the air, I uh, – some of your listeners might hate the hop or not. It might not be they hate the hop. It's just they've been taught a one-two, and that's what they're more comfortable with, step one-two. Um, I, I noticed back in the 80s, Danny Ainge, Steve Kerr, John Paxson, Craig Hodges, Dale Ellis, Dale Curry, Scott Weldman, Jerry Seasting, all these guys were hopping as they caught the ball. And I think Ralph Miller, the former Oregon State coach from years ago, Ralph Miller, yeah, yeah, he had a great system, and yeah. I yeah. saw that, and I still played the game a lot in my late 20s and, and throughout my 30s and 40s, and I just became a weapon when I caught the ball. All I needed to do was use screens, and I had a quick release, and now it's starting to be more prevalent that people are timing people's release, and people can make – uh, a definite improvement in how quickly they catch and release the ball. And that's where I feel the hop is something to where it develops a, a catch and shoot release time somewhere in the point fives or low point sixes. And that makes you a weapon right when you catch the ball. If I'm, if I'm guarding the best shooter in America, Kevin Furtado, all right, I gotta, I gotta be there on the catch, you know, and if I'm not there on the catch, it's, he's going to let it fly. If I'm getting there on the catch, uh, he's going to perform what I call a split and sprint. Where are your feet when you get your hands on the ball? They're in the air. 
And my feet are going to split three feet apart or more, depending on how tall you are, in a nice 45 degree angle. And you're going to explode by that person. So we're passing ships in the night. So all of our <laughs> offensive actions that we try and run is to create a closeout advantage for a teammate or a catch and finish for a teammate or a backdoor layup for a finish or, you know, an end product finish off a flex cut or, you know, a slip cut or a drive reject to an open area of the floor to where you flush the area out. So if you watch any of our sets, these are creating you know, the, the new analytics of basketball. We don't shoot any mid-range shots on our team, especially especially for girls, because they have a hard enough time creating that shot. It's a pressured shot. It's a low percentage shot. And it doesn't win games. And sometimes I have to win people over with that, with, with mathematics and percentages and stuff. And just to be simplified for you guys, um, and not go into detail about it, because I'm not that smart, but... All I want to do is if we shoot 33s and make 10 of them, we're going to sure we're going to score 30 points in those 30 shots. That's 1.0 per per shot. That's good. Sure. And the mid-range shots, you know, on our percent of them, that's a heck of a percentage from 12 to 19 feet. That is that's amazing. You're not going to hit that from them. So that's why we don't take them. I mean, the last years <clears throat> in the last 10 or 12 years, I, I haven't counted them, but I know, you know, we'll probably take 1800 shots a year, 900 threes, 900 twos. I would say if we stepped on the line, you know, probably 10 times and, but we don't take any shots between 12 and 19 feet um, because they're low percentage, low uh, PER shots or points per possession shots. So we don't take them. We take finishes or threes and, the result of the style of play that we play at is that I want them every shot they take in a game is something they have practiced and mastered. They've mastered the different types of finishes inside hand layup, a fake inside hand an inside hand up and under a wrong foot layup. They've mastered a jump stop. They mastered an up and under they've mastered a two foot layup. They've mastered a spin layup, uh, a Euro step layup. <clears throat> a fake inside hand floater. I mean, we have a set of 30 to 40 finishes that we practice consistently every day. And the girls love it. The girls love, my girls love showing off in front of boys. They love, they really do. <laughs> yeah. And people, when they watch us play, they'll go like, did you see that layup? That's, that's a Kyrie Irving wrong foot layup. That's, that's Steph. You know that, well, yeah. Uh, how do you think they mastered it? Is the same way we're trying to master it, and uh, that's why we um, we practice so diligently on mastering the shots, like a golfer masters their shots. Of the really good golfers, the scratch golfers, young kids will go to the range and spend four hours there mastering their craft. Every shot in their bag, they're going to master. So, if Doc Shepler is playing Jordan Spieth. Uh, I used to be a four handicap, no longer there, obviously. The time to the <laughs> it's but not bad, right? Yeah. <laughs> I would go to the range and practice every shot that I thought I would have to get when I was playing around. But there, you know, that, you know, if I'm, if I'm 140 yards straight away, 
no wind, pins right there. I mean, I can, I can get it on the green. You know, I can get my par. Uh, Jordan Spieth's going to get a birdie because he can put it five feet. He putts great. And then if I'm 210 away from the hole with a wind in my face and a tree in front of me, there's no freaking way I'm going to get on the green and go uh, putt for my yeah. par. But Jordan. Hey, you're talking my game right there, yeah. Coach, man. That sounds like me. Jordan's going to wrap it around the tree and put it on the green and get an easy par while I hit the tree and got a double bogey. That's why I'm a, that's why he's subpar and I'm not. He's a pro and I've got an A with an amateur after my name. But he developed right. those shots. He developed those shots. And that's what I want my players to do at the end of a practice that we're going to practice as many shots that they take in a game as we can. Now, I mean I'm talking too much. I'm sorry about that, but you know, there, no, we no. want to create the easy threes for our team and the easy threes. I, 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 I've been using the term catch and shoot for 25 years and now it's a common theme. And one of my players back in, Oh gosh, it was 2001 said, every time I hear you say catch and shoot, I think you're saying cashew like the, the nut cashew, <laughs> cashew right. no, catch and shoot, catch and shoot. Well, the easiest catch and shoot is off of, I'm going to describe seven scenarios of offensive actions, drive and kick, post feed, kick out, catch and shoot, offensive rebound, catch and shoot, baseline drive, baseline drift. Somebody drives the opposite way, I fill their spot, catch and shoot, skip pass, catch and shoot, ball reverse, catch and shoot, one more, catch and shoot. Every one of those shots you don't have to do anything but hop on your shot. You don't have to create a line with your hop. All you have to do is get your feet in the air as the ball's in the air, catch it with your feet in the air, come down and let it fly. It's an easy three. And I categorize our threes based on easy to hard. I, I want my kids developing the, and the hard shots or let's say I call them hop backs because you're hopping back. You're not stepping back. Larry Bird stepped back on his three. All the guys now they hop back and at the pro level, they allow you an extra step after the gather. I see high school boys and girls doing it. I want to puke because, you know, then high school, college, <laughs> that's a travel, you know? So the trainers yeah. that are training that into you are doing you a disservice because you have to, you have to hop on the bounce of the ball, you know? And uh, so those hard shots off a dribble transition threes, where you're sprinting up the court and somebody passes you the ball up ahead, you're, your eyes are turned and you got to hop still on the catch or step into your shot. Those are hard coming off a pin down. Those are hard. That's a hard yeah. shot. You know, coming off a floppy, that's a hard shot. You know, coming in the elevator play. Uh, interesting to note that we name our elevator play Otis. Kevin, do you know why we call it Otis? Because. All right, let me think, Coach. Uh, I I don't like to I don't I don't like to be uh miss miss these questions. Yeah, that's all right. Um, you step in an elevator and you're a bunch of people in there. You have your head down. You look on the lower panel of the elevator. Otis Elevators makes elevators. It's the <laughs> Otis Elevator Company. So I got gotcha. you. <laughs> uh, plays that we ca call Otis. We call it Fotis. That's fake Otis. That's where we make it seem like we're getting the Otis double but we drive reject we drive to the basket well there's two girls involved in the screen of the otis there's one girl going through the screen now we have an open driving lane where we flushed 
the weak side of any help and they have got to come a long way to help. We have a focus on a, right. a, a fake Otis on inbounds underneath the basket and we have a slotus slob play, S-L-O-B, sideline out of play. Right. So um, those are hard shots to hit. You need special players that can hit those. And uh, I do have a couple kids that can hit them a good percentage of the time and we'll run those plays for them. <clears throat> but uh, um, in terms of uh, developing shooters, uh, that's the thing is I don't think coaches devote enough practice time to shooting. They really don't. Um, I'll ask kids, you know, that I work with individually, how much they, they're, they're calling me begging for a tune-up. And I call it a tune-up just like you're tuning your car up or you're going to the doctor to fix your shot or something like that. It's just really easy fix. And I'll ask them, well, what are you doing to keep your shot tuned? And B, how many shots do you take at practice? Give me a, give me a scenario. And the reason they're not great shooters is they don't get enough repetitions at their basketball practice. So they're in the unenviable position to where they have to shoot on their own. You know, great shooters have two things in common. They practice a lot and their form is impeccable. And I use the word impeccable because I want to make it seem to the listeners that I have a vocabulary that's very expansive. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. And I, I got to tell you the um, I'm instituting well, my system is not – you run a basically a five-out. And what I tell you what I love about your your offense is your big girls, and I think it's number 11, 24, right, the two bigs. They're my best um, God, I mean, they're, those girls, I mean, I was just watching going, my word. Then the quick release yeah. um, and just coming off the hop and so forth. And how many bigs can guard that, right? Very how many big minimal. defenders? Minimal. No. Minimal. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's our advantage that's our advantage that's our offensive advantage and we use that a lot those are the people that we get in closeouts and it's bye-bye time they're going to the basket and a lot of times the way teams play us now is there's not going to be any help on drives because people are so fearful of the three and uh, it finishes yeah. at the rim from those those two girls so um they've mastered i mean everything about basketball is you know, vision, decision, execution. I have to see, I have to decide, and I have to execute the right move at the right time. And off a catch, it's basically I'm going to plan to shoot, react to drive. And I've, if I have somebody coming at me strong with a with a closeout, well, I'm just gonna I'm gonna go by them. And if there's if there's immediate help on that, I'm gonna have my eyes forward and read the help and be able to to dish the ball uh, to the right person. That might have another advantage with it and eventually you know we we get the shot we want now now kevin the team's now uh playing us there's no help on drives anymore they're physical with us off the ball and if if we get an advantage to the basket it's like you know a parting of the red sea there's moses at the basket hello you know it's like nobody there there's nobody there <laughs> right and that's why we got to finish plays and uh, so they're allowing, they're, so they're taking away the three, allowing you, they're giving up the right. twos. Yeah, we'll give up layups, but we won't give up threes. And it's like, what are you doing? You know, really? You know, so you yeah. watch the first two or three possessions of a game we played a week ago against Carondelet, C A R O N D E L E T. We lost, 
but we lost because we were three of 21 from three, but on Tuesday, right. 19 of 32. Uh, Fraulein, I think we we're 13 of 19, turned it over 12 times. And that, that efficiency wasn't good enough to win the game because we only scored nine points on our 21 shots and we didn't do a very good job getting offensive rebounds. You know, one of the things that's, uh, that I really want to pass on uh, to the people listening is offensive crash reaction on threes. It's really important to train your players. I mean, I can, I can ask a baseball question that would be very simple to answer. Like, Kevin, you're at the bat, you hit the ball, where do you run? First base, right? <laughs> run yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, at yeah. some point in time in your embryonic stage as a baseball player, you didn't run to first. You had to have some guy say, hey, Kevin, run to first. Yeah. yeah. But eventually in time, it became a reaction. Hit the ball, run to first. When I'm at first, there's two outs, hit the ball, I'm going on anything. Uh, baseball is action, reaction. Right. Well, basketball, there's a million more action, reaction, you know, scenarios. And one of them is that if Kevin is on the other side of the floor and he shoots a three, I'm going to drift my way forward and I'm going to react to the ball with a first step explosion to react to the ball off the rim to go track the ball. Now that goes in alignment with our size. We don't have a lot of tall players. My tallest girls are 5'11 and 5'9. I've never had really um, six footers or the only reason I want a six footer on our roster is not for offense, just defend the post. Can, can sure. I, that's if I have one kid that can defend the post of my five, we're going to beat that team. We're going to beat them because only one person can be at the post same time, you know? So uh, we use that matchup offensively to create our advantage. You know, you've got a, you got a tall girl that's not very, you know, mobile uh, and they're going to play man against us. Look out because we're going to make her guard ball screens. We're going to make her, you know, defend on the perimeter. We're going to put her in a closeout situation based on some offensive sets and that's how we gain advantages with other players that might not be able to drive against a more athletic player when they're dribbling the ball. You know, if I get a flare screen and I make the right read and I catch the ball and somebody's closing on me, well, I got a catch and shoot or a catch and drive. And if I catch and drive because they're running off the line, there's no help on my drive. Well, I'm going to do a finish at the rim based on where uh, my primary defender is. So everything, everything fits, everything fits. Plan to shoot, react to drive. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sh catch and shoot. I'm gonna catch and drive, or I'm gonna move the ball. I'm gonna move the ball, and the ball is always moving. Ball is always moving, and that's what's hardest to guard as a defensive team, is when the ball is moving. It's very easy. You know, we'll play teams that are well coached, well intended, noble teams that are taught every time you catch the ball, face the basket. Well, if I drive and kick to this girl. She has an advantage right on the catch, but she's been taught every time you catch, you turn, face. Well, that closeout is now gone. Now I've got to, you know, and it's almost even against a zone too. Um, all eyes of the zone are, are on the ball. You know, if you're in a closeout situation against the zone, don't catch and hold the ball. Either shoot it, drive it into a gap, or move it to somebody else. So our zone philosophy is you know uh spread them attack spread move attack spread move attack 
We have them spread out. We're moving the ball, spreading them out. We get them. We attack a closeout, and then we're going to we're going to war with them right there. Uh, and that's when teams play a zone. I, I, it was about seven years ago where I just said, "Screw it! I'm not putting somebody inside the zone. We're going five out. We're going one." <laughs> I was going to ask you about that because I have some questions yeah, about that. So we, and... We've been zoned. For, we've played 15 games, and. Of yeah. those, I, I don't know the, the math, but let me do the math. 320. Of those 480 minutes, we've played against three minutes of zone. Three minutes of zone in 15 games. Teams don't want to zone us. You know, it's like, oh, they're going to shoot those threes. But uh, I don't like playing against the zone as a coach because I don't have any control. It's basically the kids that are the ones – that are making the decisions. We'll have a couple of sets that we run and a couple of things that we run to get, get an advantage at one position. You know, if they're in a two, three zone and the weakest defender is at the, the right side of the floor at the baseline in that two, three, well, we'll put our best driver. We'll send our best driver through reverse the ball and get her in that situation where they can, they can attack that terrible defender. Um, I've always been in the philosophy when the teams play a zone, it, they're trying to either shortcut their way into wins uh, or their man principles suck. And uh, we're going to, they're going to play a zone. Well, great. Uh, it's tough to block out in a zone. So when, when we shoot a ball and we've got three, sometimes four people now, keep in mind, some of the listeners are going to say, you mean crash the boards? No, 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 no. We run to a 15 foot arc wherever I am, how far is the three point line? You know, let's say 19, or 20 feet. All I want them to do is to drift forward on the shot. I don't want them running to the rim. I want them running to that 15 foot spot and I want them sprinting right when the ball hits the rim to see if they can pursue that ball and get that loose ball, because you don't have to be tall to pursue a long rebound, but you have to want the ball and you have to quick to right. the ball. And those are the things that we train, like hitting the ball and running to first. The ball's on the rim. I, I don't want you in a dead brain position where you're just, I call it dial tone, uh, where your brain isn't reacting to the ball hitting the rim. You're just, oh, uh, she'll get it. You know, no, you know, the shot's up, you filter forward. So I want to do the math for you. Let's say we're 9 to 30. And people say, well, that's 30%. Oh, I guess you didn't shoot well. It's like, no, no, no. Okay. That's okay. That's going to win us 99% of our games. And I'm serious when I say that. Oh, 30% sucks. Um, yeah, but we got, <laughs> I'll we take got that. 10 offensive rebounds on those 21 misses. And that, that's right. 9 out of 20. And that's 45%. That's 27 points in 20 shots. That's a good points per possession. And then if you factor in, right. if you got to the free throw line a little bit and you finish plays really well, that equals or that translates from an analytics standpoint. I, I, analytics is too strong a term. It's just math. I mean, it's just math. It's not I'm analyzing the data. No, dude, just do the math. You know, you want to score as many times as you can. And if you do the math, you'll greatly enhance your team's chances of winning the game. And the same offensive philosophy we have in terms of creating those shots 
depending upon the personnel of the team we're playing, we don't want to give up wide open catch and shoot threes. We would rather run somebody off the line and have them make another decision. The decision that, that we talk about plan to shoot, react to drive. When I react to drive, I was planning to shoot. So that's one reaction that I had to see. And when I react to drive, when I'm driving, <laughs> I have to see help. I have to see the game, you know, and that's making another decision. I have to make a good decision on where the ball is. I have to execute that pass perfectly. That's making somebody make another choice. And if you make them make vision, decision, execution, like two of them, uh, chances are they might turn the ball over. You know, chances are they might take a bad shot. Chances are they might expose the ball. Chances are they might use a bad angle pass. Uh, Your chances increase of that. And that's our philosophy defensively in that particular regard, too, is that we don't want to lay up. So when we play the post, people go, oh, God, you give up so much size. Do you front the post? No. What do you do? I said, well, we side front, and then when they catch the ball, we, we let them hit a turnaround eight-footer. Well, why are you doing that? It's an eight-footer. It's like when we, when we get one hand up on the shot and we screen her out, she's not going to get the rebound. And everybody's doing their job. Let's say she hits 40% of them. You know, it's like, okay, they're, they're scoring, you know, 0.8 each possession. We're scoring 1.0. We're going to win that game. You know, that's math. <laughs> Analytics? No, it's math. It's just simple math. Just on that particular shot. We la- I, I have my girls. We get a big laugh when somebody takes a 15-footer that's contested on the other team. We get a big snicker. And it's like, oh, all right what would happen if one of your players did that doc? I said, well, you know, if they lived their way through it, um, I, you know, (laughs) so we don't take those contested and twos. And sometimes the college coaches that come recruiting our players say, well, she doesn't have much of mid range game. I said, yeah, we do have a mid range game. It's called a floater. Well, and they'll say, well, I don't really like that shot. And I, I'll just have to say to them, well, um, do you know who Tony Parker is? Do you know, you ever watch Tony Parker play? He, he has a nice mid-range game, but he has a nice 8 to 12-foot floater game, too, that he doesn't miss. And when I tell people, how many dribbles on your drive into a mid-range pull-up? And they'll just say one, okay? I can get to the floater zone 8 to 12 feet with one dribble just using a long jump stop to get there. If you can visualize Mark Jackson when he was with the Knicks, he had a great floater game. He'd take that herky jerk dribble, take that pound and jump forward five feet while he's gathering the ball when his feet hit and he'll hit a floater. And people will recognize like, whoa, I do remember that. Yeah, I don't, I don't consider that something that I taught back then, but I was, I was just mesmerized by Tony Parker. And I, I tried to learn how to teach it. Um, one of my players had one eight years ago. And I, I couldn't teach it at first until I watched Tony Parker. And then I broke it down myself and go like, okay, what does he do? Okay. He's dribbling the ball. He can come to three different types of stops. He can come to a step one, two stop. He can come to a quick jump stop, or he can come to a long power jump stop, or people call it a pro hop and finishing right. in those three different ways. The whole purpose of it is to get in the floater zone. And at the floater, we practice every day. And I say to my girls, 
a floater a day keeps the doctor away. You know, you gotta, you gotta get 50 to 60 floaters in. So when you watch us on video, you'll see us take probably around four to five floaters a game. Um, if there's help, um, I'm reacting to that person helping off and my floater is too quick for that person to react that I'm shooting that shot. And, uh, that's why it's so effective for a guy like Tony. And I can tell you a funny story with, uh, with Jeremy Lynn is that he just, I would just harp on him that, you know, your arc on your floaters too high. And he would say, doc, you don't know who I play against. I play against these seven foot monsters. And you're like, okay, here, let me show you a video here. See Tony's it's not, it's too quick. It's too quick. So you have to time your landing with the gather of the ball because the defensive player knows I'm going to shoot or pass off a dribble when my hand comes to the ball. And when I teach defense, as soon as that hand comes to the ball, your help's accomplished, recover back to your girl or get up on the girl if you're the dead dribble person there or if you're trapping, you know, close their space and take it away. But on the floater, if you bend your wrist back, it takes you longer to shoot the ball. So the technique of a floater, when I teach it, is basically I'm, clap, I'm clapping my hands and shooting the ball. I'm clapping the ball. And that yeah. clap of the hands on the gather and shoot the ball right away is the same action that you should shoot a floater with. So, right. All right. What other questions you have for me? I've been talking your ear off. <laughs> hey, I'm running out of no, uh, notepad uh, space here, Coach. Uh, I love it. Um, I I don't. I'll be honest with you. I I need to get. I, I really love the study. Hopefully, you can send me some stuff on your um, on your sure. floaters. Now, I do have a eighth grade girl. I'm telling you, she is a great little player. Man, she'd be a perfect player for you guys. Um, but I think she's going to stay here. She has the best little floater. She's a small guard, and she's been well schooled in a lot of fundamentals. But she has the best floater ever, and I have my best player as a sophomore girl that also has it. I'm I'm trying to get him to be more of a power player inside, but I'm telling you, I'm not taking away that floater, and I really need to train all my okay, girls I'm on that. Throw out a couple names for you: uh, Sean okay. Marion and Antoine. James. Okay, both of those bigs, they're no longer playing anymore. They shot their finishes like floaters. It was too quick. So when they, they would get in that area, they shot floaters from eight to 12 feet, but they also finished with floaters to where they gathered the ball and they shot it too quick. Well, why did they do that? Because they're probably used to playing against seven footers to where they can't use a power to play up. Right. I'm jumping as high as I can. I release the ball with my body in front. I've got my feet facing the baseline. You know, my body is in front of the defender and the ball and using that. And so, but sometimes when you're playing against somebody taller, it doesn't matter. They're just going to go over you and put, put down. And that's where you need quicker finishes. But I, after years, I, I realized, damn, Sean Marion and Antoine James both had floaters. And now all big guys now, everybody has a floater. Andrew Bogus got a, they all got floaters. So when they catch a pass, they catch and they go right up. As soon as their feet hit, they're releasing the ball. Um, most, most players of the male gender value a block shot more than anything on this earth. Somebody were to offer them a, a Maserati or you, you swatted this guy's shot, they'd rather take the shot swat. I mean, they'd rather do that than get a nice assist or hit a three or, you know, take a charge or, you know, 
win a game, uh, I swatted a guy's shot, you know, that raises my male self-esteem. So uh, mm-hmm. the floater is a great shot. And I, I'll, what I'll do today for you is I'll, I'll, uh, I'll video our, I'll, I'll send you about 10 to 12 second thing. And I'll, I'll describe the key points for you on terms of the, the teaching progression, because it's very easy to teach. Um, and uh, it's something that everybody should have in their repertoire. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. You know, and don't confuse a runner with a floater. I I don't want a running one hander. I don't want a running layup. Right. You know, you can come to a one foot and shoot at Steve Nash where you're going straight up like that. But most time people miss floaters because their balance is poor and they're, they're drifting forward as they're shooting the ball, which is effect, which affects their, you know, their muscle, I don't say muscle memory, but it affects their distance control of their shot, which is an important element of shooting. So. So it's, it's off, it's off the hop and it's almost like a dead wristed shot with either hand. As long as you don't cock your wrist back, you can snap your wrist from the gather, but don't lay your wrist back to where it's perpendicular or parallel to the ground. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah. I would love to see those videos, coach, if you can send that to me. Um, Coach, can you, can you also, I I think I text you um, because we're really working on, uh, you have really motivated me to kind of get back into, because you know how you get during the season, man, you're focusing on X and O scattering reports, things like that, which is absolutely ridiculous. Our our, Our program's built on, we have to be skilled. We're, we're kind of similar to you guys. Now we don't, now, obviously, we don't have the players you have right now, but we have to win on skills, all that. And I'm really trying to develop my shooters again. Give me a little developmental series that we can do, or any of the coaches out there, that we can do every day. You mentioned in the day about wall yeah. shooting. Tell me a little bit about your development. Well, um, I think you have to understand a couple things. One, there's two things that determine a ball going in, direction and force. So direction is keeping the ball straight. So your shooting release has to be, has to be perfect hand behind the ball. Uh, a lot of times I, I talk about the 10 commandments of shooting uh, wrong commandments. This is something that we were taught. Hey, you got to have your archive. Two balls can fit in the rim at the same time. Thanks Einstein. I appreciate that, but I don't want to shoot the ball at 90 degrees. You got to square your shoulders to the basket. no, Depends where you release the ball. If you release the ball slightly on your right side as a right-handed player, you want to be Curry, you want to be Thompson, you want to be guys that have that turn into the shot. So your line is your your wrist, your elbow, your shoulder, your hip, and, and your foot. So basically your feet are at 11 o'clock if you're facing a clock. But you do have to ha- – if, if you shoot like Kawhi Leonard or Russell Westbrook, their release is from the middle of their forehead – you want to have your feet and shoulders square. But when people came up with square your shoulders, it was back when people shot two-handed back in the 40s and 50s. They, you had to square your shoulders. But now, you know, people don't square your shoulders. Was Larry Bird's shoulders square to the basket? Hell no. He was turned. You know, he was shot from the right side of his forehead. So uh, jumping straight up and straight down. No, you want to flow forward on your shot. And matter of fact, when I teach shooting, to younger players, that's the first thing I do is teach rhythm. Anytime you do, a sh- when you talk shooting, rhythm is really important as well as your release and your balance. The rhythm right. of your shot means that you are jumping when you shoot, 
where are your arms located when you jump as a skill? Most comfortable at waist level or even behind your waist. Well, you're holding a ball. You can't take your ball behind your waist. So when you jump to shoot a ball, and anytime I attack somebody's shot, Kevin, I always have four things that I look for, and I'll tell those in a second. People are, people are told, well, the higher your set point, the less likely you're going to have your shot blocked. No, no, no. Wherever you release the ball, you're going to have that point in time where you release it at a 45-degree arm angle or a little bit higher. Your release is going to be up there. Where you start your shot doesn't matter used to be that when there weren't a lot of three-point shooters, Kobe, Michael, uh, even LeBron, when he shot at first, they'd hold the ball above their forehead, and you can't shoot threes like that. So most of the kids that grew up shooting threes in junior high and high school, Harden, Curry, Lillard, Kyrie, uh, don't Clay Thompson, Kyle Korver, J.J. Redick, they don't really hold the ball above their forehead. They kind of hold the ball at their forehead or lower. It's all about how quickly you release the ball. People that are, the other commandment is bend your knees when you shoot. No, your knees should already be bent. You don't want to land and then bend your knees and reload. You do an analysis of Draymond Green's shot. That's his fault with his shot, is that he takes a step and he loads and then he shoots the ball. Well, as soon as he took a step, he should be springing into a shot. That extra load takes away from him some of his power on a shot. Um, everybody uses the term hand in the cookie jar way back when put your hand in a cookie jar you know it's like oh sure you know the cookies are in not in that top shelf you know shoot out of a telephone booth really you're going to shoot out of a telephone booth i mean ask a kid if they know what a telephone booth is now what that mean? <laughs> right um you know uh don't dip the ball you want to dip the ball you want the ball at your waist a lower dip means the ball below your waist means you're not jumping quickly um the other thing too that you're experiencing now is is you can't make improvement with a change of how you do things in your shot during the season. Oh, it's got to be up. No, right. the changes that I make in kids and players at all levels are permanent as long as they're getting the reps. And that the four areas that I really concentrate on is that they're going to jump quickly when they shoot. The ball is at their waist when they jump to shoot it, not when they shoot it. That's going to create a one motion shot. We bring that arc down to 45 degrees 45 degrees means you're watching the ball flight okay and their feet are going to flow forward and most times when i work with someone if i make any of those four changes it's an immediate improvement and the most important one that is just a fallacy is arc high i mean i heard a clown on the radio talking about draymond greenshot needing more arc and this other guy they need more that we're really working on increasing his arc Let's not confuse high arc with a short miss. Most people on their shots, they miss short. So that's the synopsis. Now, in developing a shooter, I want them having good rhythm first. So if they don't know how to I have them just stand on the line, and I want you to jump like you're shooting it, I want your feet to land in front after you pretend you shot the ball. And they do about 10 to 15 of these. And when you look at them without the ball, you'll go like, is that Steph Curry? Is that Clay Thompson? Because they look, they <laughs> right. might not have the picture repetitive release that they do, but they look like a shooter. And what we do in, in terms of uh, preparing them to shoot their best, when we do form shooting, we do it against a wall or a backboard. 
And the main mistake I think coaches make is that, and players do, is that they use too high an arc from too close in. So they develop, you know, the cookie jar is shooting out of a telephone booth. And that affects the arc of their shot when they shoot it from the distance they want to make it from. So we stand really close. And I basically say, just if you're at a backboard, just shoot it to a point where your arm angle is basically the arc angle of your shot. And that's 45 degrees. If, if, if the listeners know what a NOAA machine is, it measures the arc of the shot. And then after they just fine tune their release, maybe 10 or 15 of them to make it perfect, then they go against a wall. Now here, here's the description of that. I want them to be about 13 to 14 feet from the wall. They're picking out a point on the wall that is the top of the backboard, which is 13 to 14 feet high, depending upon what backboard you have. Some of them are taller than others. But the ball flight, when you shoot a high school or college three, shouldn't exceed the top of the backboard. So the ball shouldn't be above it. It should be somewhere close to equal to the backboard, maybe half the ball. Depending, different shooters I have have different arc preferences. Some like, like 43, 44, some like 46, 47, wherever, as long as it's the same. And what we do against the wall is we just work on our release while we're jumping and hit that spot on the wall. The same spot. We're working on direction. We're not working on force, but we're working on developing a ball flight that will allow me to have great force knowledge because you're going you're gonna to shoot that ball at the same arc every single time. Direction, force. Now, Coach, do you have spots? I'm sorry, Coach. Do you have spots have, on the wall no, for my, that? At my gym, our, some of our banners have a basketball and we put the banner to where the basketball is equal to that of the backboard. So I'm 14 feet away. Okay. I'm jumping and aiming to hit my ball on that ball that's, you know, on that banner. It's not an actual ball. It's a picture of a ball. So what we do is we, we just do about 10 or 12 of those to make sure our arc is under control. And then we go over different situations. We will flip the ball and hop and catch and shoot it. We will shoot it off a dribble. We will shoot off a hop turn. We'll do hop backs with those shots. We'll do shot fake reload and they'll get at least 30 to 40 form shots at their arc angle at that direction. And I get on them, you know, if they miss the ball or they're not concentrating, it's like, Hey dude, why do you, why are we doing this? Or they'll be talking while they do it. No, no, this is the time where your hundred percent focus should be on your form because once you get out there and you start shooting, I don't want you concentrating on your form. I want you aware. I want you to be self-assessive, but I want you to be able to let it happen. You know, let, let your mind do the, let your mind take a nice little breather and let your body do the work and adjust your shot accordingly. And then after that, you have a shot. Yeah. yeah. That, you have a shot. Yeah, go ahead, Coach. I'm sorry. After that, we go and we do what's called batting practice. And practice getting okay. the same pitch every time off a machine. And I'm shooting it. I'm shooting it from at 17 feet, 18 feet. I don't go 15 feet. It's too close. It's too close. You don't right. need to develop that muscle memory. It's too close. Don't bother. About 17, 18 feet. And then after five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten shots, you're comfortable with the ball going in. You're seeing it go in. Then you're back at the three and then they, they start, you know, shooting, you know, they're shooting with a partner and everyone is a hop, catch and shoot. 
and they're moving from spots and then we'll do different shooting drills, games, competitions with their partner. And that's part of the fun part is that we always change up the shooting games we play and they're fun. And just passing it on, we, you know, everybody knows the game, beat the pro, beat Michael Jordan, beat the ghost, right. you know, you get plus one for a make, depending upon how severe you want to make the punishment for my great shooters. I make it minus three for my, for my team. We make it minus two. Uh, easier for their math skills. But the other thing, too, is I've now put a time limit on it because it got to be the point where some kids would, you know, would take one minute longer to finish. <coughs> Excuse me. I see it's right in front of that podcast. Did, did you feel the spray back there? No. Uh, I put a time on it now. So I go two minutes plus one minus two. And putting your math skills to work, you know, if I am even – I call it even par at the end of uh, two minutes. That means I shot 67%. I made two, I missed one. I'm even, you know, I have my girl number 24 was plus 24 after two minutes. And when she's not plus 24, she's pissed. You know, it's like, but plus 24. Now let's do the math. Two minutes, one ball, you know, a rebounder. You're going to get at most 36 shots you know, maybe a shot every three and a half seconds, something like that. She was 32 out of 36, 32 out of 36 from three. So right then you can assess as a coach who you're, they got to say what they made. You know, they got to say what they did. Um, You know, minus, minus 16. It's like, Hey, don't feel bad. You know, let's do the math on that. You know, you took probably 36 shots. You were minus 16. So let's say you made 12 and missed 24 that would be minus, you know, 24. All right, so you may, it was like 14 out of, not, not awful, you know, not awful, you know, but it, you know, in a drill, you wanna be much better than 50% with, without a defensive player. So that's our progression. And then, you know, like I said to you on the phone, we come up with uh, the <clears throat> actions that you wanna be able to shoot that off. So we'll draw and kick, we'll, draw, we'll, we'll drive opposite, and drag behind we'll we'll drive one way and make the opposite pass to the other side of the floor we'll make a skip pass we'll make a a pass fake into the shot we'll we'll make the baseline drive baseline drift and we'll do those shooting drills within the confines of our offensive sets so they're comfortable where they get their shots how they get their shots and they're they've already tuned their shot up with their form work and their batting practice and the you know confidence shooting drills we do confidence means everyone's a catch and shoot you know and then you have to include you know for to be great game shooters this is not something that i have mastered with my team because um we're not shooting well in the game right now but uh, you have to mimic you know the scenarios that you shoot in a game there's a defensive player there's a decision to make open to shoot it gone uh take away my shot i'm gone i'm driving fatigue i'm tired you know, I've got to move, you know, I got my parents watching, there's pressure. Uh, there's so many factors involved with a game shot that differs than just doing shooting drill. We're going to shoot 10 there, 10 there. Yeah, you need that. But you also must include the game situations that uh, replicate that. Uh, you have to replicate the game situations in practice. Uh, so they feel like, hey, I got your pulse rate up at 190 here. 
go ahead and shoot 10 shots here on the move. And they're tired and they see that they're not going to shoot as well. And then they can replicate your tired. We do a closeout shooting drill to where I'm going to close out on Kevin for 30 straight seconds and rebound it. So I'm closing out, checking off, getting the rebound, sprint, chin the ball, pass, close out again with my partner. And after 30 seconds of doing sprints, if you will, I'm now tired. And then we switch. And then I shoot for 30 straight seconds while my partner does 30 seconds of closeout. So, you know, what are we doing in that? We're accomplishing a lot of things in one drill. We're working on our closeouts. We're working on our defensive, you know, uh, responsibilities that I want to make sure we're bothering the shot, checking off, getting the rebound, chinning the ball. And I'm getting tired while I'm doing it. So when I shoot, I'm shooting with a defender. I've got to make a decision to shoot it. I'm, I'm planning to shoot it. I am going to shoot it. And I'm, I'm tired. <laughs> you know, I'm tired. So uh, that in itself helps us uh, uh, hopefully become better shooters when we play in games. Coach, let me ask you, um, and I, I tell you one thing would be a big favor for me, I'm telling you, is if you would video one of your players, maybe even tonight at practice for about 20 seconds on their technique sure. so I can show that to my players because I am trying to – uh, get them to understand the difference between a one, two, and a hop. Yeah. Um, and I, I've been I'm not, inconsistent. I'm not somebody, see, I hate a hop one, two. I hate a hop one, two. That is the worst because it develops bad rhythm. It's slow. They look like a freaking drunken cowboy. You know, they look awful <laughs> doing it, you know. But if somebody right. is preferring to step in their shot – I let them do it, but under these conditions. One, where's the ball when they jump at my waist? So as I'm stepping into the shot, I'm loading the ball, and right when my foot hits, I jump and shoot it. So it mimics a catch and shoot, except it's not a hop. And if you visualize that, I'm stepping into the ball, I'm catching it at waist high or at chest height. My right foot is now being hit. I'm loading the ball at my waist. When my right foot hits, and when my, right when my right foot hits, I spring in my shot. So many times I have to correct kids on their one-two that, hey, it's not the one-two that's bad. It's, it's only a little bit slower, not much. But your problem is you're bringing the ball to your shot pocket while you're stepping to shoot the ball. So you're shooting with crappy rhythm. The ball's in my pocket. I haven't even jumped to shoot it yet. And like the video I showed you of that, uh, Patrick McCaw shot. That's exactly what he did. If you see, and you'll right. see that, oh, he's bringing the ball to his shot pocket and he hasn't even jumped to shoot it yet. And then on the second one I showed you, he's hopping on it because I, I taught him to hop. He knew how to hop. But I also said, okay, if you want a one, two, sometimes I work with college guys whose coaches don't like a hop, you know, and they're, you know, they're just stubborn guys and that's okay. You can be stubborn, but I have to teach them to cut corners on that. And that's one of them. And one of them, uh, the other one is I teach them a, a quick hop one, two, where it's like, if you can hear this, that's a quick, that's a quick one, two. This is one sound. This is a quick one, two. That's two sounds. All right. But right. hey, you're, you're keeping your coach off your ass because, hey, you know, it's a one, two, you know, I can, and, but it yeah. Every shot you take, no matter what conditions you're shooting it in, my law 
Where's the ball when you jump to shoot it? It's always at your waist, all right? Every shot should feel the same, whether it be catch and shoot, off a dribble, or triple threat. Because off a dribble, where do you gather the ball off a dribble, Kevin? You gather it at your waist. You know, when you have the ball in triple threat, you have it tucked away at your waist. And when I jump to shoot it, every rhythm shot you take should have the same feel to you as a shooter. And I'm telling you, when I work with, with people, it transforms their shot into just an elegant, beautiful shot. Yeah, and I, um, <clears throat> I'm a believer, and I, and I, I don't know why I've changed. Uh, what I've done was I, I'm one of those guys. Is if the kid feels comfortable with a one-two, you leave them. Sure. If a kid feels comfortable with a hop, and I'm not sure if there's right or wrong, coach. But the more, you know, the the more I'm studying the hop, the more, and it's not easy to teach because you know. Uh, it feels a little unorthodox at the beginning. Like today, we were working on that. No, I have a little. Is, I have a little. Have to jump quick. The key thing is, yeah, is that their hop is yeah. minimal. It's not a jump stop. They are jumping, but their jump is like one inch off the ground. It's it, it's, right. and I don't want the I don't want the feeling you're hopping off one foot. You're basically hopping off two feet. I don't like people to step and hop. If you step and hop, you'll you'll be hopping after you catch the ball. I want them just to hop. I want their feet in the air when they catch their hands on the ball. And they have, you have to break it down to a point where I'm passing to Kevin. Kevin's not even shooting the ball. He's just mastering getting his feet in the air as he catches the ball. He's mastering that. And then the key thing is the jump on your shot is a jump rope jump. It's springy. It's bouncy. It's on the balls of the feet. I feel want to feel my toes jumping. I'm jumping. I'm quick, 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 quick. And if you really watch great shooters, and I always use Steph, Clay, and KD as examples because this is the area that I'm around and most kids that live around here can visualize because they see it. You watch their jump after they land, and it's quick. It's a quick jump. And oh, yeah, yeah. when I train somebody with a hop or anything like that, all, all I just say, hey, just focus on jumping quickly. You won't dip low. If you jump quick, your release will be quick. If your jump is slow, your release will be slow. So that's one of the things that little mini breakdown drills that I do with kids is I'll have them hold the ball, Kevin, and I'll say, give me three jumps. One, two, three. And on the third one, I want you to shoot it. But I want your first two jumps to be the same as your third one. And inevitably what happens is they jump quick. One, two, three. I think, no, no, I need you to get rid of the ball. And having a quick release means you're jumping quickly. It doesn't mean you're at first, they might think they're rushing their shot, but after a while they'll feel it. They'll feel it. They'll see it. Um, show them, show them videos of great shooters shooting a ball, uh, show them clay. You know, there was an article by Chris Ballard in sports illustrated where I had some quotes in there and he made me sound and really intelligent too, which is a stretch. Uh, but, uh, it, right. it, it talked about those concepts. It is put your arc under control. Kevin, you're now the arc coordinator of every single girl shot there. And you, did you see the video I sent you of Steph shot and you were able to use that? I did. That's 45 degrees, perfect 45 degrees. And as the ball is entering at 45 degrees. So, um, 
those are key elements right there. Key elements. Spring. I, I the, the the key words that I love to use to make it all cover a lots of ground is you're going to spring, you're going to snap, and you're going to sweep. You're going to spring with your feet. You're going to snap your wrist, and your feet are going to sweep forward like you're sweeping the ground with a broom, flowing. Yeah. And that's all you want in their mind when they shoot a ball. You don't want to. You don't want to clutter with all this information. You know, I think your hand is here and your two fingers are here and your off thumb is there. There are lots of different <clears throat> release drills you can use to fix problems like that. But after a while, just, just tell the girl to just snap your wrist. If you snap your wrist, then that ball is going to be in the direction that you want to have it. And if their grip on the ball is correct with their hand behind the ball, uh, all you got to do is snap your wrist and the ball will go straight. I have you have you have snap wrist drills that you use or is that drill and behind the ball just you're close to the you're close to a wall or close to the backboard and just gotcha. work your snap you work your snap and one of the things with a couple of my shooters that I've had to, is that their hand wasn't behind the ball so when they were snapping their wrist their the left right misses were happening too much and just spring snap and sweep wasn't good enough so I had to actually you know, get your hand behind the ball. So a couple of the girls were, they were turned, but they had the ball at their waist. So if I have the ball at my waist and I'm turned, you can, you can, you can do that yourself. And you can see that your hand is facing a 45 degree angle. I want your hand to be 90 degrees with the ground, you know? So if my, if I'm releasing from my right side of my forehead, okay, my hand's behind the ball. And my elbow's in. You know, people say, hey, get your elbow in. Well, watch a shooter that has a release in the middle of their forehead and they have their shoulder square. Their elbow is still tight to their body, but their elbow looks out. I mean, when I first started working with Jeremy and, and other guys, you know, well, my shooting, the guy on my team says my elbow's out. I said, Jeremy, you don't have your elbow out. It's your, the, the anatomy of your elbow and your wrist when you put your arm down, your elbow's outside your wrist. So, so many times people put their elbow underneath and it creates a cramped, stressed shot. Yeah, I see that. Behind the ball. It's simple, you know? If somebody is not turned right, I mean, look at Lonzo Ball's shot. You know, his problem with his shot, he shoots a little bit on the left side of his forehead, which is wrong, but his, his right. feet are like 845. So that's why it looks like it's a backhand in tennis, you know? It's like, what is that? He's done a nice job this year. Uh, at the start of the year, he's reverted back. I haven't watched him play a lot. Well, he, 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 he changed his feet. He, he squared his feet with the target, <clears throat> and that created a better line <clears throat> for his ball. Um, but anytime, like I said earlier in the podcast, that when I look at somebody's shot, I look at their shot and see what is the quick fix. What is going to get them to shoot better right away? Do I change their feet or do I change where they release the ball? And I change their feet because most everybody kind of has a clue uh, in terms of where to release the ball. Um, but they just need a little bit more guidance on how to manipulate their feet. Now, if somebody's way off, then I'm, I have to fix everything. Then I know. You know, I got to put out a lot of forest fires. You know, I got to put out a lot of fires with that. But uh, by the same token, most people are easy fixes. Lower the arc. Don't raise the arc. Lower the arc. 
Nobody shoots like a bow yeah, and arrow. Yeah. I mean, I'll even demonstrate to kids like I can put a ball in at 32 degrees, and as long as right. as long as I'm hitting lightly off the back rim, I can make it. I have great distance distance control, and I kind of figured that out in my basketball life as I got on that my arc got more. I got to be a better shooter because my arc naturally went down to mid 40s instead of being in the high 48s. And understand this too. If you read the Noah the Noah material, it's all great stuff. I mean, I learned a lot from them and I apply a lot that you want to create the most amount of surface space for your ball when you shoot it. And you want to have the great amount of distance control. Now let's look at somebody that shoots it too low. Well, I have control of the ball, but there's not a lot of surface space for the ball to go through. So I'm not going to be the best I can be. By the same token, everybody has been poisoned, toxicized, if you will, by so-called, oh, you got to put more arc on it. You know, two balls will fit in the rim at the same time. It's like, yeah, dude, thanks. But, but you want control of the ball. If you shoot it too high, that ball's way up there. You have no control of your ball. If you want to bring it in that perfect range, mid 40s, to where you have the best of distance control and you have the best of surface space, and that's mid 40s. And if if coaches would do, I, I can watch a team warm up before we play, or watch somebody that's supposed to be a good shooter. If I see her ball flight is too high, I'll just say she's not that good a shooter. She can't be. She can't be. And most of the time. It, it's tried and true. Now, I, I look like an idiot <clears throat> at halftime. Doc, you said 22 couldn't shoot. You said four threes on us. It's like <laughs> exactly. Every, every dog has its day, girlfriend. Every dog has its day. So. And we play against teams like that, Coach, that you see them in warm-up. Uh, the other night, we played a team we beat before, and um, we were laying off there. We were, we were, we were just packing it in. And these kids were knocking down some of the ugliest shots, but sometimes yeah, that happens. It happens. It happens. <laughs> um, but yeah, hey, coach, uh, I I know it's I know it's uh, well, it's late. It's a little bit late out here, but um, I, I really want to do yeah. I want to do another podcast with you because I know that I have some other questions for him, but I do have one more question. Um, I always ask my. Every single coach that I talk to, it's like, what are your top three? All right. And I know you're, you're a great innovator and so forth. And what if you were teaching a player, what are your top three skills or concepts that you want them to master um, under your supervision? Uh, shooters rule the world now. Shooters rule the world. You got to develop the ability to shoot. Have a quick release. Uh, have a quick drive. Develop finishes. You know, the offensive player – um, a complete offensive player masters all the shots in the three different situations, catch and shoot, off a dribble, triple threat. And every move you have <clears throat> should look like another move. So anytime you have a great offensive player, it's about deception and explosion. Um, deception means uh, every shot I have, I have a drive with that. So let's say I'm shooting off a dribble. My hesitation should look like my shot off a dribble. For my bouncing right. the ball, my feet are in the air, and I split and sprint and go by them. I bounce the ball, my feet in the air. I bring my hand to the ball right when my feet hit the ground and I shoot it. Every move you have should have a counter that looks like that. And the other thing, too, is when you're developing these moves, make sure you're at the right exploding angle 
to be as explosive as you can be. So that's why when, when we catch and drive and do our split sprint, you want your feet at a 45 degree angle and you want your feet wide. You want your feet wide to create a good push from behind. So on my video I did with Coach Nick and B-Ball Breakdown, you'll, <clears throat> your listeners uh, can look at that, the split and sprint. Feet in the air and a catch, you catch and drive. Put your feet wide and you'll see, and the kids will feel themselves be more explosive that way. Oh, your stance is too narrow. I need you to be wider. Or your stance is too parallel. You need to be at 45. And I do a drill called the X drill. A lot of times coaches do this drill where you take two dribbles, come to a balanced stop, reverse pivot, or, or, or do an outside pivot and pass back to the person line. Yeah. Well, we, do, we put an X on the ground, a four-foot long X with tape, a perfect X that looks like the X you make in a strike in a bowling thing. And this okay. teaches the players to have your feet on that line. That's a 45-degree angle, and it teaches them where you should manipulate your feet. And after a while, they'll do it naturally. They'll do it naturally. And uh, if you can visualize that, or you can put five dots like the dice five. Same thing. Same thing. Five sure. dots on the ground. And you put, them in the middle, you put them in the middle of the X or the middle of that middle dot, and you toss them the ball, and you say split sprint. As soon as your feet hit, you're gone. And if I can teach my five-year-old this, she's, you know, she's, they're living with us for a couple of weeks while their house is remodeled. <laughs> I'm I, okay, Tegan, it's time for bed. All right, show me your split. And she'll give me, it's almost like a karate move, you know, to where you're splitting your feet quick. One sound, do it. Right. And uh, this greatly helps. And we do this every day. We master that because if we're going to catch and drive, I want to make sure it's perfect. I want to make sure they're doing it all right. I, I love that that technique right there. Absolutely. And that's just the details that really separates. And I tell you what you're you're motivating me and probably our listeners is, man, coaches, we got to get out there and teach more skills. Uh, Don't be afraid and you're the master. Don't be afraid of it. Uh, watch a game from a technical eye instead of a tactical eye. You know, watch, watch, watch somebody make a drive. Um, I have a video of uh, Victor Oladipo's hesitation and his feet are like five, like, like no, probably four feet apart when he makes his explosion by a befuddled J.R. Smith. And it, it's like a perfect hesitation. It's, it's a perfect split and sprint. He's dribbling, he bounces it, oof, his feet hit, boom, he's gone. And, you know, one of the things with, you know, first step, as well as, especially if you coach females, is to make them stronger, to make them stronger and increase their uh, leg strength to where they're able to squat or leg press more because all of, all of a first step is about exerting force against the stable surface of the floor or the ground. And the stronger you are, and I always make myself to be a weak, weak sack, if Kevin Furtado squats 200 pounds and Doc squats 20, Who's going to be more explosive with his explosion push against the ground? Well, it's going to be Kevin because he squats more than I do. So it's technique, but it's also strength. And we can teach the technique, but we're obviously having him do a lot of strength work as well. But it's really, really important that you strength train your girls teams to make them stronger. 
more more athletic. Um, uh, we're all given a certain amount of talent, but we have to learn to maximize it. And that's one of the things with my team that every single one of my girls is very strong, very strong. We don't look good in a airport, walking through the airport. It goes, you guys play tennis? Where are you? Are you a soccer team? No, we play basketball. Right. What? You're not that tall. Are you? you know, it's like, and I'll just, ha- I'll just walk up to him and say, yeah, rank number two in the state, two in the state. Said, oh, so you're a small school. No, no, two overall. You know, the teams, when they, we're not going to win hearts and win basketball people up in heaven when we walk in an airport and when people watch us play. This is where I sound like a cocky bastard. I'm sorry. People watch us play. People watch us play and go like, I got to get my team to play like that. That, that, For sure. that's music. That's artwork. That's museum work when they play. It's symmetry. It's beautiful. We touch people, you know. The ba- I coach for the basketball gods up in the sky, you know. It's like they're looking down on my team and go like, that's a great team. They play the right way. And uh, that's what I want all coaches to feel about their team that I feel about mine. Extremely proud. I, I said to a girl yesterday during a drill, and I'm sorry to keep you. I might lose power in my phone. I'm down to 11%. Uh, oh, you're running, you're running low, yeah, coach. <laughs> I, I had a, we had like two or three possessions doing four and four shell where it was perfect offensive and defensive basketball. In other words, the reads were right. The reactions were right. We, I, they couldn't shoot the ball because they had a bunch of shots, but they were just moving together. And I said, dang, that's, that's artwork. I said, who in here is an artist? And my, one of my players, Caitlin, said, uh, who's the best artist? And everybody said, Caitlin is. Caitlin, have you ever produced a piece of art that you just were so proud of? And she said, sometimes. And like, sometimes? She said, how about, you know, you've do, you have produced it where you look at that and go like, you're really proud of that? She says, yeah. I said, well, girls, what you just did is that's my artwork. I'm so proud of you for doing that because that you are my you are my team and that's artwork. I want to create artwork on the floor, basketball artwork. Have pride in what you do. Have pride in your your team and what you're showing on the floor. You know, the other thing I want to talk about, we don't run liners. We don't run liners. I think it's just ridiculous. We do conditioning drills within the confines of developing skill. And the only time we run liners is when and if I get pissed and we're not doing the drills for conditioning, we're just doing the drills to go through the motion. And they know I'm, they know I'm in business when we get to the line and go down, back, down, back. And the next, no, they, and they're proud of that too. We don't run liners, but I'll have people say to me after games, what do you do for conditioning? What do you do? I mean, do you do this? Do this? No, we just do drills. We do skills. We do. And they look at me like we play. You know, you, you play basketball and you're like, duh, you know, what's that? Kids love to play basketball. Right. You know, if, if you're a kid and you got to show up to a practice where you know your coach is going to run your ass off, I don't want to go. Forget it. But after an hour and a half or two hours, I want them coming. I want them to come back into the gym the next day with, I can't wait to come to practice. We're going to play music. Oh, tonight it's country Thursday here. So the girls right. out west, they don't understand country music. So I have my eight favorite songs of country music that are up-tempo, that are quick, 
they're going to play and they're going to, they're going to bop to the music and, and girls love that. Girls love that. And they don't know they're, they don't know they're working their ass off because like I said earlier, uh, working hard is fun because getting better is fun. And that's what you have to do is make it fun. Not like it's a, you know, a game show and we're all screwing around, but make it joyful, make it joyful, make it basketball heaven. You know, I had, uh, Sam Hinkey came and watched his practice. Sam Hinkey is, uh, uh, trust the process. Sam Hinkey with the Sixers. He's, sure. he, uh, um, he teaches two graduate classes in sports business at Stanford. And he heard about our team and he came watch his practice. And he said to the girls, girls, that's the best practice I've ever seen in my life. Any level I've seen college practices. I've seen pro practices. I've seen a lot of practices, but you girls work with so much joy and focus and hard work that I'm bringing my friends. I'm bringing my friends to watch you practice just so they see why your team is so good. And, uh, Nothing is a greater compliment to them and our coaches than somebody that, you know, has the background that he has that senses that as well. So anyway, I'm all out of power. <laughs> Coach, man, it's been a blessing listening to you. Man, I, I can I can have this podcast for three more hours just kind of picking your brain. Uh, I just want to tell well, you, you you're um, I mean, I have nothing left in there. Nothing left. Talking to a California boy, though, but I'm telling you, you are an absolute, uh, I mean, treat to all the coaches. I mean, I, I got to share this with so many of my coaching friends and so forth out there. I know you're an inspiration to me. Uh, I will be contacting you, picking your brain more because I want to integrate as much of your system as possible sure. uh, into, into our program because we're very similar. I'm at a small charter school. And we have the same type of kids, very smart kids. Um, they're involved in a million different things. You've been a great inspiration Thank for you. me. And I know my coaches out there are going to absolutely love this. I appreciate that. Thank you. The compliment means a lot. Yeah. So when you come out here to California, you'll be coming out here to basketball heaven. All very I will. That's my proud of it. Even when my assistant coaches run practices, it's, it's a well-oiled machine. It's, it's disciplined, but – it's fun and joyful. It should be something they want to go do, you know, and right. uh, that's what we try and do. Absolutely. Coach, I sure that's appreciate right. it, man. And keep, yeah, I'm, I'm going to, I definitely want everybody to go watch those, uh, your game videos. I'm, I, I show my, I'm going to be showing my team every day what you guys do. Coach, thank you my so pleasure. much. I my appreciate it, my friend. Night. All right. Good luck. Bye now. This is Alan Stein Jr. My new book, Raise Your Game, High Performance Secrets from the Best of the Best, will be available from all major book retailers on January 8th. Raise Your Game takes a rare peek behind the curtain and shows you what the top coaches and players in the game do during the unseen hours. I share their routines, rituals, and habits, as well as proven strategies that you can implement with your team immediately. If you want to maximize your coaching impact and influence, order your copy today at RaiseYourGameBook.com.
Hey coaches, this is Nick Bartlett with Dr. Dish Basketball, and you're listening to the Championship Vision Podcast with Coach Kevin Furtado. Make sure to check us out at drdishbasketball.com and on Twitter and Instagram at at drdishbball for daily basketball drills, tips, inspiration, and how we've revolutionized the basketball shooting machine over here at Dr. Dish. Also mention this podcast and you will receive an exclusive discount on your next Dr. Dish purchase. Thanks for tuning in.